Welcome to the Informed Life. In each episode of this show, we find out how people organize information to get things done. I am your host, Jorge Arango. Today I'm joined by Austin Govella. Austin is a user experience design lead at Avanad, a global professional services company. He's the author of Collaborative Product Design and co-author of the second edition of Information Architecture, Blueprints for the Web. In this conversation, we focus on Austin's note-taking system and its relation to his work in UX design and information architecture. And now, Austin Govella. Austin, welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. We were just talking before we started recording, saying that we've known each other for a long time. But many folks listening in will not be familiar with you. How do you introduce yourself to folks who you've never met? Well, you know, it's it's about tax season right now. And, and every year I take great pride in putting information architect on my career, on my tax form. But I work at a global consultancy called Avanade, and I lead kind of cross-functional teams, and we design products and services and strategy for um, you know, big enterprises that can focus on Microsoft stuff. So usually, I just go with the easy user experience lead, kind of how I, how I introduce myself. When I hear Microsoft stuff, does that mean that it's mostly for internal systems, for the internal systems of, of companies, stuff like SharePoint? That's a common perception for sure, right? And that was definitely my perception when I started. At this point, especially though, Microsoft has really just become just a big platform. So they have servers and middleware and databases and front-end frameworks. So you could be, from the design perspective, we're just on a platform. But as with any design, right, the closer you are to kind of like the actual physical stuff that you're molding, the better you are, the more things you can do, the more things you can see to do with it that other people don't necessarily see. So that really does kind of um, make it more, more open. And then a lot of it is just kind of like, you know, digital marketing stuff that sits on top of something like Adobe experience or site core, just, you know, just, just websites or apps. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fascinated by this phrase, uh, being closer to the stuff that you're working with. I think that's how you phrased it. Does that mean like being closer to the implementation technologies? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's be the proxy of the, the developers or technical architects you work with. But now, especially, I'm really interested in like kind of the new emerging stuff that is coming out and for workplace experience. That's where I've been kind of focusing the last couple of years. Being able to talk to an engineer or like the Microsoft product team about how things are architected and kind of the journey that that sets up for the platform or that particular product is It's amazing. You can imagine like if you were like thousands of years ago and you're talking to the first Roman engineer who's designing a road and you're talking to him about, you know, what do they see roads can be able to do and how difficult is it to make them and how do you decide how wide they are? What type of grade do they go up and down? Like being able to understand those questions means that you could then go and plot out highway systems, map them out for the all of Europe, right? Long before they're able to build them. And so that kind of closeness with the te Microsoft technology gives us the, the ability on the design side to do that. Things that I could do that, for example, when I work on like a Salesforce projects, I don't have nearly as much familiarity with Salesforce. So I bump into a lot more um, edges, right? You, bu you bump your elbows a lot more. And that's the same thing for any 
any framework, I think any designer who works on any product or system somewhere, there is a platform they're in and you get really just acclimated to, you know, which way the water flows, right? Where you can jump in and out in places where you, things are just immovable. You're just, you know, it's just a hard constraint. I love this analogy with the Roman roads. It really brings it to life. But the way that I'm understanding it is that the familiarity with the technology has to do with understanding its capabilities and constraints, which you do at the moment of trying to implement something with the technology. And in so doing, you can then understand kind of how those capabilities and constraints might be brought to bear on other problems. So like understand it universally. Is that a fair take on that? Yeah, no, I think that's a fair take. And the only thing that I would add to that is I've been reading a lot of architecture stuff lately and your background is in architecture. So I am, and I love Philip, Philip Johnson. So I was reading something that Philip Johnson said, but he talked about how his focus was not the materials per se, other than, than what the materials looked like. His focus was on how the building kind of hits the street, like that point at the ground where people are walking by and they walk in. And that really blew my mind that his focus was where essentially where the building hits the road, right? And less so about the building. And he he said as long as it's feasible, he didn't care. Like that he wasn't concerned about any of that stuff. And it made me think back to back when I really did more kind of pure information architecture work, where I really was more concerned with where kind of the IA hit the user and less concerned about the technology, like, you know, the constraints were, I was really focused on that point. But since I've been doing kind of broader design work over the years, I've become more and more concerned about the materials. And I don't think that's a bad thing per se, but it was just, I don't know, just, it's just interesting, interesting difference in approach that, that just kind of struck me. Yeah, I share that concern. I've long said that information architects and designers in general need to understand the materials that we're working with. And the technologies that allow us to mold those materials, use them in, in different ways. But the reason why we are talking today is that we have a shared interest in note-taking systems. And I have gotten the sense just from the stuff that you write about on Twitter that you have or are in the process of building for yourself. I think we're all kind of in the ongoing process of building for ourselves some kind of note-taking system. And I'm very curious about what role notes play in all of this, you know, your, the work that you've been describing. Like, what do notes do for you? They perform a couple of important functions. So I think my, my focus recently on really kind of understanding a system that works, that can remove friction points, is because my home life is my home life is crazy. My wife has like a chronic condition. Um, I have a four-year-old, you know, and he's no longer a toddler, so he's less maintenance, but he was really premature. So anytime he has like a weird cough, we're off to go see another specialist, you know, just in case. And then I have my day job. And it and my day job as a consultant, kind of being, you know, kind of a more senior resource, I have probably more than one project that I'm working on. I have a couple of sales things I'm working on. I have like capabilities, things are kind of like early opportunities, maybe you kind of discussing things and, you know, internal training, internal initiatives I do. So there is a ton of stuff for me to forget, essentially. So you at home, you have this thing where I have, I don't have time for friction at home. If I want to sit down and 
you know, uh, working on stuff for a website or working on a book. I just need to get to work, jump right in. I've got 15 minutes, 30 minutes. Maybe I have an hour, hour and a half. I don't have time for friction. And at work, it's the same thing. If I need to figure out when the last time was I met somebody or what we talked about or what the decision was or what, what the next action for some initiative is, the faster I can do that, the better able I am to do my job. So my interest is really kind of been honed to really fine point recently because it's just become critical in order for me to, to function the way that I want to function, that maybe that I've functioned in the past perhaps. And, you know, I'm getting older. I bet my memory isn't as good. So, you know, time constraints, my memory is kind of fading. So I've, I've noticed the need, or I guess I'm hoping, I'm aspiring to a system that, that will kind of help me fill these gaps that I've been kind of coming across. I would imagine that this challenge of switching contexts has only gotten worse during the pandemic when we've, well, for the most part, been working from home, folks who do consulting work like we do, right? Oh, no, absolutely. And to tie that back to notes, that's actually the part, the biggest piece of friction I found with my notes and that the, you know, we take different types of notes, right? Or we, we note different types of things, you know, tasks, you know, you know, things in your calendar that are, you know, timed, timed events. But I've always taken notes and scribbled in notebooks about design stuff. You know, I like, I'm a writer and I've, you know, I like to write kind of longer form things. So I'm always doing that. But for work, I've come across, I've always taken all these, like these daily fleeting notes, right? Just notes about the project, you know, it's about the meeting and notes about what I did that day, because I have to, you know, record the time that I'm, I'm doing. But I've noticed there is a massive switching cost going from being in the, I'm taking like these fleeting reference type notes to switching over to kind of wrestling with and swimming through kind of the atomic like thinking type notes where you're, you know, exploring new concepts or learning new things or making new connections. Whenever I do my weekly reviews, I don't quite do them weekly, but I'm going through essentially my inbox and, and I use the Obsidian, all my new notes get stored in the, in the, in the inbox, inbox folder. When I'm going through there, I have to take two passes. The first pass is to go through and identify kind of the fleeting reference type notes, like notes for people I met or notes for meetings or notes for projects or things like that. I do pass to file those away properly. And then I have to do a second pass to go through and find the concept stuff because the decision logic I use to understand, to, to keep or file or remove, delete one of those kind of fleeting reference type notes is a totally different way of thinking than thinking about kind of those idea information notes. Like it's just totally separate brains. So I've found that to be like that switching cost, just the difference in thinking there is a huge, huge friction point. It sounds like the first of those steps has to do with some kind of triage, right? It sounds like it's determining whether it is a fleeting note or a note that deserves greater attention or further processing. Is that right? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. And then the second step, it sounds to me like it has to do with perhaps making connections with other things, maybe categorizing it, maybe uh, deciding where it goes into the system. I think that's fair. And it's probably the different levels. Like if it's a person and it's a note that I'm going to, that I'm going to keep, then I know exactly where that goes, right? It's just a reference that goes to my people folder. No big deal. But if it's a note that requires kind of more thought then, I mean, I have a default place for that, right? Just the default kind of standard notes place. But then there are places where, like, I don't like moving stuff there until it's 
a little more formed, right? I don't believe notes are ever final, right? I think if you have other than references, right? But you know, if you're kind of your thinking type atomic or Zettelkasten type notes, like I think those are always evolving, right? They should be. So if it's one of those types of notes, though, I do want to have it just be a little bit more formed and make sure that the title is making some type of claim, right? So that the title kind of sums up the note. So it's at a glance, I know what it is. And then it should connect to one of the other concepts somewhere that I have. They don't always, but I mean, I've been doing this for a year now in Obsidian. So it's very, very rare now that it doesn't connect to something that I've been interested in before. So figuring out how that how that works. And a lot of times the connection is a missing link, right? So it's a note that doesn't or concept that I haven't captured before. So I have to make, you know, in Obsidian, you can just make a reference to a note that doesn't exist and it stays, it continues not to exist. But it's just, you know, it says, hey, you made a link to this idea. So I do that. But that takes some thinking, right? That's not just like, oh, hey, I, I talked to Jorge today. So I have a note about Jorge. I'm going to put that in my people folder, right? That's super easy. Requires no thought. And it shouldn't require any thought. But those thinking ones are harder. Like that's, there's a lot of wrestling there. It sounds like those steps might require a different mindset. Mm-hmm. Like the triage step, I can imagine can be done almost not automatically, but like it's a sort of thing that where I would put on <laughs> maybe one way to distinguish it is like, what kind of music do you put on in the background? <laughs> like for the first step, like I can put distracting music on and I can still do it if it's just triage. But for the second step, I would need ambient music or something really calm. <laughs> like I, I need to be in a different mm-hmm. mind space, right? So I'm wondering if it's something that if you do both steps at the same time, or if you make time to do one and then time to do the other, you said you have a weekly review. Do you do both? Yeah, I do them in sequence though. I do a pass to do the triage of the fleeting stuff. And then I go back through and pick out a few kind of interesting, interesting idea notes. They take longer. So you don't, I don't get through as many of them at all, but it's fulfilling work. It's the type of work. I think when you, a lot of people talk about notes, it's just stuff they want to do. Right. We're trying to you know, think about ideas and what they mean, their implications. So it's, it's good. So in that second step, you talked about making connections with other nodes and you referenced linking, which in Obsidian, and I'm an Obsidian user as well. In Obsidian, you can create what are called wiki style links where you're basically typing and inline you create this link to this other note, whether it exists or not, like you said. You can also, when using Obsidian, use tags for categorization. And I'm wondering if you are using tags at all, and if so, how? I use tags in three ways. Which is funny because when I define CMS, it's just usually three types of tags and then a data on something. Um, so I don't know if that's a coincidence or not. But um, the, the first one is just kind of like a status thing, really. And it's really, it's just binary. It's, do I need to go back and touch it? And the tag is touch. That's like, you know, hashtag touch. And then I can do a quick look at those. And those are typically ones that are left in the inbox. Or maybe there's someplace else where I need to go and add a topic tag. Or there's something I need to go do. But it's something kind of straightforward and simple. I can look at the note and get a sense. I just need a little bit of cleanup. The other type of tag is topic tags, right? But they're very broad. So um, things like, I don't think I have design as a tag. That'd be too broad for like, you know, the stuff that I capture. But behavior is one. I have one for psychology. And some notes, some notes have psychology and behavior because those are behaviors is really a subset, but broad, broad swaths of stuff. And a lot of times those I use just to give stuff uh, a shape, right? And so you can look at the graph and you can turn tags on and I can see 
I've seen sometimes where, and this happened with psychology, actually, the psychology tag got really, really big on the graph. And that told me that I needed to have, there was something there to go look at. And so I ended up making a um, kind of a map of context psychology index type note that kind of organized my psychology stuff. And so then I had that note there. I had a note about psychology. I don't typically have notes about topics like that. But those topics can also identify when something isn't nuanced enough. So I had like a really big workshops and design thinking became a really, really big node because I'm really interested in like collaboration and how design works there. And that actually, instead of signifying that I needed like a map of content, it signified that my thinking wasn't nuanced enough. And so I was able to go in and can identify, kind of pull it apart so it was cleaner, right? So I use tags, topic tags in that way to help me get a sense of the shape of the information I'm working on. And then the, the last way is I actually use, and I can't remember his name, I, I use tags to identify the type of information. And this is a taxonomy that is, it's well established, but whether it's a fact, a concept, a principle, it's a process or a procedure, right? So it's just a simple taxonomy. And the way I use those is a lot of the stuff that we read, or that I read at least, is it talks about concepts, right? So for example, like you might, if you're reading about food, maybe it's that protein enhances the brain's ability to focus, for example, it's just a concept. But in order for me to apply that, right, or make an argument, I have to turn that into a principle. I have to derive a principle from that. And so the principle might be, you know, start your day with protein, right, to improve your productivity and focus, right? That's a principle is something you should be doing. And you derive it from a concept, though. And then if I'm really good, right, I can turn that into a process, right? So I have a process for breakfast. You prepare food, you eat, you clean up. And then if you're really, really good, if it's something that I do all the time, like make personas or plan workshops or something, I create procedures, right? That I take and break down that process into steps one, two, three, right? So for, in this example, maybe that might be steps one to three for cooking an egg, right? To make a scrambled egg for breakfast, right? So, and you can come in any way, like you can pick up a process off a medium article, right? With how to cook an egg. And you can deconstruct that all the way back to the concept or even an underlying fact behind the concept. But I use this a lot when I explore a new area, I have all these concepts, but no principles. And I can derive principles. The principles help me understand more about why the concept's important. In the same way with a lot of stuff that I read about design, it's more principles, right? So psychology is probably more concepts. And then for design, it's more principles, right? Because that's just kind of where we are. But I can work on driving the concepts. And that's something I've been doing with design thinking, which has been really valuable because that's what's allowed me to totally kind of reframe my, my point of view on some of these topics to where that now I think design thinking isn't about design at all. It's, I think it's about decision-making and that design isn't about interfaces in, in any sense. It's just a, a scientific process for making decisions about fuzzy topics. Like that's totally like antithetical to kind of how I saw design thinking design, you know, two years ago, but it's from, it comes from deriving concepts from the principles. And that's been a very viable kind of approach for me. Am I understanding correctly that this process of going from a concept to a principle to a process to procedures is something that you document in your note-taking system? Or is it more kind of internal, something that you're doing, um, that you've kind of internalized and haven't expressed in your notes? Oh, no, I definitely wrote that down. Yeah. And I try and write a lot of process down. I think that's something you see, like in the PKM communities, people will share their processes. In the beginning, I kind of thought that was just procrastination around, you know, you're thinking more about the notes you could take than actually taking notes. However, given my time constraints, if I have a new set of tags that I come up with for some reason, 
having those written down somewhere, right? Like I have an index note that just lists my tags. Being able to come back two weeks later and just kind of glance at that and refresh myself about where I was is really important because, like I said, I have huge time pressures and I'm probably, my memory is probably starting to slide. Um, I'm not that old, but I definitely feel like I forget more things than I used to. The, the reason I ask that is that I make a distinction between what I call work and meta work. Mm-hmm. And work is, you know, the work of thinking or researching or, you know, get, getting things done. And then meta right. work is working on the systems that allow you to do the work. And one of the risks that is inherent in all of this stuff is that we can end up spending more time or a lot of time doing meta work relative to the work that's getting done, right? And uh, the the phrase that people use for this is productivity prawn. You know, it's like this notion that we're fiddling around with tools, right? Rather than than actually getting stuff done. And I'm wondering if that, and I say that because you also mentioned the PKM community and PKM, I think, means personal knowledge management, yeah? Yeah. And one of the things that I've always been a little wary of is that in working with systems like Obsidian or Rome Research or some folks are using Notion, I sometimes go on YouTube to learn how to use these tools better. And I see these folks who are spending like an inordinate amount of time creating these incredibly Baroque systems, systems right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then taking notes about how they're taking notes at which point I'm like, well, you know, but is it really, you know, like I can put myself in their shoes and think, well, would I be actually doing work here or would I be working on the tools? And that's a line that I'm always very careful to not kind of stumble over, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Has that been an issue for you or or is it something that you feel like you have under control? I feel like it's, I have it under control, but I think it's critically important. The meta work is. And if we tie that back to information architecture, if you think about that, information architecture is essentially kind of, it's a cultural agreement among all the players in the system, right? That you're going to just follow these concepts. And you don't have to design an information architecture for a big kind of enterprise internet, right? You don't have to, right? People just start putting stuff up there and giving things names and tagging stuff and searching for stuff. And it works okay, right? Not really well, but it works all right. But, But taking that time to do the information architecture piece just get some agreement, right? 60 to 80%, whatever you get, so that more people know how things are supposed to happen. But I noticed with note-taking is there's kind of two pieces, right? The first is that each of the different, when people pick a note-taking system, right? Whether they're doing daily fleeting notes, right? Or they're kind of doing something more atomic kind of evergreen note-taking. They're not really looking for a tool. They're looking for a way, right? Because a lot of people are new to this. They don't have a way already. Like if you've been doing this for a while, then you already have kind of your way of doing things. You look for a tool that that lets you work in that way. But a lot of people pick up a new tool like Obsidian and they don't know where to start because Obsidian is just, it's an IDE for thinking, right? It's like a development environment for thinking. If you think about VS Code or back in the day we used HomeSite, you open it up, it's just empty. But you would then go and build all kinds of sites and applications using this tool, but it's empty. Whereas a lot of other tools like Chrome Research and LogSeq, and there's another one called Reflect, they have a way. They start with a daily note. And that's kind of like your entry point, your spine. And so if you can follow that way, that gives you an entry point into the tool. 
but that's like a cultural kind of agreement you have, right? And I think that's the exciting thing about something like Obsidian is you can make it fit your way, right? That's also a downside though, right? Is that if you don't have a way, you have to find one. And that that's where the meta work comes in. But I think the other piece is that if you don't have the habit or you're exploring new stuff, then you need some kind of structure and process. And it's better if you have that documented. I don't think it has to be all fancy, right? But just document it. Like I keep an index list of has mo- doesn't have all my tags, that's most of them. I, I documented like this the, the information taxonomy that I use, right? Between from concept to principle to, to process. Key things that I use all the time, I, I document so I can go back and remind myself if I need to. But one of the things I've noticed with my templates, for example, that I use in my note-taking system is at the beginning, they were very much more kind of Baroque and ornate had all these headers and sections in them. And I had a lot more kind of plugins that I used to kind of help me automate different things. But as my habits set in, I realized I didn't need that stuff. That stuff was really there just to help me form the habit. And either it provided guidelines that kind of made sure that I kept pointed in the right direction. It was in kind of keeping with my goals, objectives, or it created safety rails, right? To make sure I didn't mess something up or forget something. And as I've continued to optimize my system, my daily note template now is just the date at the top of the page. There's nothing in the page at all. I used to have all these headings. And my template for like an atomic type of evergreen thinking type of note is used to have all this stuff in comments about, you know, remember this metadata and this metadata. And now it just has kind of three placeholder tags and a place for the title because I've internalized all that stuff. And so all that stuff goes away. But if you internalize something, then, you know, there's something you're doing, but you don't remember why you did it this way. And so you try it a different way. And you're like, oh, something messes up. You're like, oh, that's why we did this other way. If that structure falls away and you forget it, it's out of sight. So you just forget what it was or someone else comes into your system. They don't know why you did things a certain way. Then you've lost the information architecture is faded, right? If it's not visible and referenceable, it'll fade or it's more likely to fade. Maybe, maybe that's what we're saying. I'm tempted to try to derive a principle here. Uh, based on what you've been saying. And what I'm hearing is that, and I'm going to generalize, structure as manifested in things like the templates, right? That's like adding structure, or you talked about Rome Research having this daily note construct, right? Which is kind of their structural nudge. Like structure works well as a kind of scaffolding at the beginning before you have built the habits that make that structure unnecessary somehow. And going by habits might, would it be fair to say that it's desirable to move on from the structure? Is that, is that what you're suggesting with that principle? Well, I'm definitely at the point now where I thought so, right? I was optimizing that direction, but I'm not certain. And part of that is because one of the reasons that the personal knowledge management is so interesting to me is I work on knowledge management for for enterprises all the time, like these big enterprise systems. And it's always considered as part of like, how does the enterprise manage its knowledge? But if you really think about it from like the kind of human-centered perspective, the enterprise is just all these people. And all these people are managing their knowledge independently. And it all gets dumped into like a big morass. And you hope for some kind of common cultural convention. So, you know, you can all find stuff the same way, or I can find your stuff the way that I would find my stuff. If the only audience for your note-taking system is just you, even then it's not just you, it's past you and future you as well. If future you 
won't remember what tag you use for behavior, and then they're going to use a different tag, and then it'll just you know make your system a little more janky. Then it's worth having the tags written down so you can just kind of remind future you about what it was. If that's not as important, right? Then you know, you know your mileage varies for sure. I think the meta work is really important. And I definitely do spend some time on meta work, like, you know, kind of go around and kind of trim the weeds and clip the hedges, right? I find I delete more notes now than I make, which I think is very interesting. I delete lots of notes. I think that type of meta work is important for maintaining the system because it makes the system usable. And maybe that helps. I'm just kind of rambling now, but maybe that makes sure that you can retrieve stuff better or when you hit the system, you can actually just work without things being in your way. Kind of like a mise en place in the cooking, right? Your counter is just clean. I definitely don't think it goes into like the uh, productivity kind of porn side though. Like I'm not filming it. (laughs) Well, I would expect that at the very least it would improve the signal to noise ratio. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because a lot of the things that we capture, and this is something that I suffer from myself. I try to capture everything and have it all kind of flow into my system. And that means that there's a lot of stuff there that is not as important or as interesting as some other stuff. Yeah, And then when I get to that second step, which has to do with making connections, all of a sudden there's too much information there somehow, right? Yeah, that is a horrible, 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 terrible problem to have. And I do something similar with my daily notes. I just kind of throw everything in there. And there are two things that I found that were really interesting. Like I never understood backlinks, but um, like I mentioned, my my wife has this condition. So on my daily note, I just kind of type her name and link it. And then I put a tag for, you know, it was a doctor's appointment or we picked up this medicine or, you know, she has seizures. So I'll put like seizure on her note in the backlinks, I can search in Obsidian, you can search the backlinks to kind of filter them. I can search for seizure and I can see a list of all the days where she's had seizures. Required no effort on my part other than type in the daily note that she had it. And I didn't know I would need that later in the future. I mean, I have a tag now, but in the past, I would just type it as text, right? And I could still search for the text, but there's a new kind of app called Subconscious. And they talked about how in the beginning, a lot of these backlink pages are really kind of just algorithmic. They're just canned searches that let you see where something was referenced. And that is super valuable if you're just kind of capturing everything. I have another one that's like a collection of user research books to read. I just tag it and I can go to that page. It's just all these random books that I will never, ever read. I'll probably buy more than I should. But it's just captured. And maybe, maybe I'll remember a book like, what was that book called? And I'll, I'll have a good place to, that's smaller to go look for it. I think that's pretty useful. The other piece, though, that's useful about kind of uh, capturing everything is the signal to noise. And this is just an obsidian. And I'm sure you use um, Devin Think also, right? So you probably are pretty up on the thinking, though. But I used to get a lot of signal noise when I ran searches. And now I just exclude all of my reference and daily note folders. So when if I'm searching for something about design thinking or say I'm searching for personas, right? I make personas for a living. If I search my hard drive or obsidian for personas, I get so many results back, it's useless. I might as well be searching for a V or something. But if in my if I um, tell it to do not search my daily notes folder and don't search my references folder, then it only searches all of my atomic evergreen notes. Right? And that's very high signal. And I think a lot of tools didn't let you do that before. And I'm pretty sure that some of the other tools kind of give you that flexibility, but that is, that's pretty amazing that you can target your search specific places to help you kind of tune your signal to noise. Because in other times, maybe I want to know when I talked about personas with the client, in which case I would exclude everything except my daily notes and just, you know, search only those, right. To see the last time that that happened. 
so I think that is really, I don't know, figuring that out has really kind of opened up. I'm comfortable now capturing more stuff. I'm confident that it has a place where it will go. So if I don't need it, I can just totally slice it out, but it's not gone. Right. Or I can search it all if I want. It, it wasn't like that 20 years ago. Right. It wasn't like that at all. Yeah, that's the trick. And I think that what you're pointing out here, and this is probably a good way to summarize things because we are getting near the end of our conversation, unfortunately, is that as the tools to capture and organize and store our notes have gotten better and more sophisticated, we can bring to bear onto them these techniques tools, frameworks, practices from disciplines like information architecture. Because what, what you're describing there is like changing the scope of search, right? That's something that information architects have known about for a while. And it's really interesting to have this recognition that many of the same principles and tools and ways of doing things that we've employed for these large-scale enterprise information management challenges can also be of use to us in our personal lives. Yeah, no, I think the information architecture's focus on making places inside of information spaces is really relevant, right? Like the different tools, they all have a different feel. And it's not just, you know, the kind of the entry point, right? Like some places start with daily notes, some places are open. Like there is a sense of space there and you fill that with your stuff, like when you move into a house, right? So um, your living room feels different from my living room, but it also affects the type of work you can do, right? Like if you're using this to kind of support work, right? There is, I can't write in Obsidian. It's just a text editor. I go write in pages, which is just a text editor. But there's something about the space in, in Obsidian, even if I adjust the workspace, that is not conducive to how I have grown up to all these years of writing, right? It just doesn't work. So that space, the space that you're creating it really does have a sense of place. And that does have a huge impact on how, how effective that tool helps you be, right? It, some people put everything in their vault, everything, 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 all in one space, all in one place. And I don't know how those people function. I'm in awe of how they do that. Well, I hope that our conversation today can help them perhaps think more mindfully about where the stuff goes. Thank you for sharing with us how you're doing it, Austin. Yeah. For folks who might want to follow up with you, what's the best place for them to go to? The best place to chat is on Twitter at Austin Gavella, all one word. And then uh, I also have a website, agux.co, with um, a blog where I kind of ramble about stuff around UX and IA and some uh, personal knowledge management a bit. But I, I love talking about this stuff or design thinking collaboration. You catch me on Twitter on any of those things. I am I'm more than happy to have a nice long conversation about any of those topics. Fantastic. I'm going to include links to all of those in the show notes. I was thrilled to have the opportunity to talk about this with you. It's a subject that I'm um, deeply passionate about, and I think that you are equally passionate about it just from hearing you talk about it. Thank you for uh, sharing it with us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate it. And you're going to have to interview yourself one day on your um, previous OneNote workflow that always amazed me that you had for like 20 years, I think, right? I've been uh, experimenting with things for a long time. And as you were describing the evolution of your own system, I was thinking my system has evolved as well a lot. And I consider 
the stewarding of a personal knowledge management system to be a lifelong project. I don't think it's ever going to be done. Yeah. The meta work. It's the meta work. (laughs) Thank you, Austin. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for listening. As always, you can find notes and a transcript for this episode at theinformed.life. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes come out, please subscribe to my newsletter at theinformed.life slash newsletter. And if you're enjoying the show, please rate or review it in Apple's podcast directory. This helps other folks find it. Thanks 